The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. All right, let's go now to uh, James chapter 5. We're finishing out the book of James. And uh, I was telling the session this morning, we had a meeting at 8 a.m. And uh, I was telling them, I feel like I'm threading the needle with this passage. And there's a lot to, um, to take in, and I'm addressing a lot this morning. So uh, we're going to be doing some work. And I need God's spirit and God's grace to, to help in that work. And so before we go to the Lord in prayer, let's hear now from James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Begins with a question. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person uh, has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a, a nature just like ours, and yet he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, I need you desperately this morning. You know that and you know I know that. Uh, so come by your spirit. Empower your word, get me out of the way, lead and guide me, open our hearts to see new things, or maybe old things in new ways. Lord Jesus, change us. Give us a passion for the embodiment of community. Give us a passion, O oh God, for in the embodiment of praying for one another, laying hands on one another, anointing one another, confessing our sins to each other and going after those who wander from the fold. Oh, God, do a great work in the next few minutes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some of you may remember the old theologian by the name of Francis Schaeffer. And uh, Schaeffer had this idea that you could tell what the culture is thinking by looking at their music, by the arts. The arts, if there's a change in culture and, and kind of what a culture believes, you're going to see it first in the arts, and it kind of progresses out from there. And so in preparation for this, I, I went back and looked at some, some music. And, and in 1963, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles came out with this song entitled, Whatever Makes You Happy. But listen to the lyrics. If my sadness brought you gladness, I'd be glad to be sad. <laughs> if my feeling bad made you feel good, I would always feel bad. And here's the chorus. And I wouldn't think twice about the sacrifice. Anything I'd have to do, because whatever makes you happy makes me happy too. That is the gospel. <laughs> that is saying, that is the showing the influence of the church on culture in that it's the message of my life for yours. And it ends by saying, even if I have to let you go, if it makes you happy, I'll do it. 
my life for years. Well, that message has evolved. In 1996, Sheryl Crow and her famous song, If It Makes You Happy, and it's been in my mind all week and I can't get it out of my head. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. If it makes you happy, and you're saying, is he going to say it? Why the heck are you so sad? I'm sorry, some of y'all, I'm sure my black brother and sister are like, what is he talking about? We weren't listening to Shell Crow, and you are blessed for not doing so. I can tell you that. But think about that chorus. Think about that, that song, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. But she doesn't stop there. She says, if it makes you happy, then why are you so sad? She is still dealing, if there's a tension between, should we really just live for our happiness? Well, by 2015, uh, the cast of Empire, and I can't sing this because I couldn't do Jennifer Hudson uh, with all the talent on the planet, um, but whatever makes you happy, the, the cast of, the, of Empire came out with it. And the lyrics read this, it ain't nobody's business how you turn it up. If they don't like it, tell them we don't give a what. <laughs> I ain't nobody's business. Who you want to love? If they don't like it, you can tell them that you do. Whatever makes you happy, yeah, 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 whatever makes you happy. And you see the progression. Francis Schaeffer was right. You see the progression from, oh, but I want to live for your happiness, so I'll sacrifice myself, too. Oh, I'm not so sure about that. I'm going to live to make me happy, but mm, no, it really doesn't work, too. Oh, this is uh, the gospel. Whatever makes me happy, I'm the sinner. Whatever makes me happy. And, and that's really the message of our day. It's you do you, and I'll do me, as long as what? doesn't hurt anybody and here we are the children of the boomer generation <laughs> uh, who sought to normalize divorce and what are we struggling with attachment issues we can't give ourselves away we can't trust anybody why because at those formative years the people that we were uh, that were supposed to give us what we needed didn't and in fact they tried to normalize the reality of divorce and what we see clearly the scripture saying over and over and over is you cannot break God's law it can you can only be broken by it the culture it doesn't matter what the message is the the message whatever we practice doesn't make it true whatever we think doesn't make it true there's objective reality that James says we got to go grab our fellow brothers and sisters and they need to come after us when we begin to wander away from the truth that needs to be an active practice and as we wander away from the truth and we're convicted what do we need to do confess our sins to each other Th this is what what James is getting at is um, it, 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 it's central. He's really addressing the, the God and the idol of our culture. And if we don't do that, then these, this message is going to have literally no impact on us. Um, because basically, you know, the whole idea of morality, nothing's moral or immoral anymore. It's just everything is open for us, kind of like a buffet, to use to what? Make me happy. So it's not moral immoral, it's just I've got all these resources and all these choices to make in terms of, okay, this makes me happy, therefore it's right. And therefore, that shades our view of God. Who is God? Oh, he's not this, this um, uh, oppressive deity who demands submission. No, he wants our happiness. Haven't we heard that? We have remade in our own image God, but really haven't changed God. We've just changed the God that we worship. 
And so God is just another resource to help us find ourselves. And once we find ourselves, he's there to help in the, in the self-effort of making me happy. Well, what in the world does this have to do with our passage this morning? Here's the deal. I could have just come forward with the text and say what the text says, but I knew it would fall on deaf ears. I believe it would fall on deaf ears because, because we have to see why we're not doing, why we're not involved in these practices. We have to look at the cultural message that we have given into that keeps us from confessing sin to one another, from going after each other, and from really going to our elders and going to others in the congregation, believing God for healing for our physical bodies and our emotional pain. So bear with me. Two points this morning. Um, the first is this. Praying for physical healing is fueled by a belief that one's body belongs to the Lord. Why don't we call the elders anymore to pray when we're sick? Why don't we practice that? It's because our theology or our practical theology has changed. We don't think God has anything to do with our physical bodies. Oh, but let me remind you, I mean, that's really the mantra of our age, isn't it? My body's my body. Nobody tells me what to do with my body. And I'm not just, you know, referencing a pro-life stance. I'm talking about that is really the concern. We really have removed uh, God from our physical reality of our bodies and our emotional healing and so forth. And, and, and yet, God has made clear. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn there if you will. I didn't give it to Seth, so he doesn't have it. But turn there, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 6, or bring it up on your phone. And I begin reading kind of at the end of uh, verse 13. Listen to this. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. You hear that? My physical body is <laughs> not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. The Lord is good for your body. Whoa. I think that directly ties into the kind of healing that um, James is talking about. And God raised the Lord. He points to the resurrection. God raised the Lord, and I want to say physically, and will also raise us up physically by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Your physical bodies are joined to Christ is what he's saying. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Um, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? So spirit, body, physic physicality, is, is, uh, this is a huge reason why you, you shouldn't join yourself sexually to another person outside of marriage. Why? Because there is some deep connection going on. For that is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Wow. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. Whoa. Time out. Time out. You're not your own. Wow. Wow. For you were bought with a price, the physical body of Jesus, torn and shattered for you. Wow. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, 
the body, our physical bodies are the Lord. And, and, and God is for the body. I mean, this, this um, you know, jar of clay that we walk around in will one day not dissipate, but be perfected. <laughs> this physical body one day, someday, will be perfected in glory. I will feel good in my body. We will, we will, we will feel good in our bodies. How many of us uh, struggle with self-shame about our physical bodies? Everybody. And if, you don't, if, you, if you're not willing to admit that, you're not living truthfully. We all, all struggle with that. Oh, not in glory. Not in glory. We will have a glorified body. Oh, man, it's so bizarre. I could talk forever about how bizarre it is to be 57 years old. How did that happen? I was 25 one day as hard as it is to fathom. It didn't hurt to get out of bed, you know? I didn't have to, you know, it wasn't like this. All right, all right, I got, all right, here we go. There we go, it's back. Man, I laugh and I'm being funny, but it is not fun. I used to run a six-minute mile, and now I'm rejoicing over a nine-and-a-half-minute mile, you know? I'm in good shape if I'm doing a nine-and-a-half-minute mile. Oh, one day, someday. Why? Because God is the creator and sustainer of a body that is good. And therefore, he says, if, if, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Why? Because God cares. God cares about your body. He cares about your physical life. Let, let him praise anyone cheerful, then let him sing praise too to God. Why? Because he's the giver of goodness. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. And anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, let's do some work here. What, what James is talking about is the embodiment of physical community. Think about that. When you call the elders to come pray for you, it, it demands vulnerability on your part. But it also demands faith. It, it demands that you trust. You're trusting that the prayers of a righteous man will avail much. You're putting your hand. You're saying, I'm not just going to um, trust modern medicine. And I'm going to get to that in a second. This is not a, 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 um, a dig at modern medicine. As a matter of fact, it justifies modern medicine. I'm about to get to that. But what we're saying here, what we're seeing here is this, the embodiment of, of um, elders coming around, laying hands, anointing with oil, and praying for you. Why? Because it does much more than just bring the prayers. It gives encouragement. There are people who care for me. There are people who love Love me. I am not alone. What does sickness do? It isolates us alone in our little world. And we feel abandoned and hopeless and so forth. And yet, and, and, and what James is saying is, no, this is a communal reality. Your pain physically is a communal reality. You should not walk alone through that. We should invite others into that space to pray for us, to physically lay their hands on us, and to, to affirm that this body is good and this body, we're looking to the Lord for the healing of it. It is, there's so much going on here. It is not saying don't take medicine. He, this whole idea of being um, 
anointing with oil. Oil, olive oil especially, has, has always been used as for medicinal purposes. And we say, oh, that's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. Um, my doctor, I just had my physical a couple months ago, he told me the Mediterranean diet, Richard, well, what's the Mediterranean diet? It is basically olive oil is the basis of it, uh, as well as a lot of fish and so forth. But olive oil has been proven. Uh, it's a healthy, monosaturated fat with natural anti-inflammatory elements to it. It contains large amounts of antioxidants. It helps prevent strokes, prevents against heart disease, may fight Alzheimer's, may reduce type 2 diabetes, possesses anti-cancer properties, can help treat rheumatoid arthritis. Use medicine. <laughs> that was the medicine of the day. That's what they were supposed to use. That's what he's saying. And, and therefore, what it may look like today is what I do for my stepfather every Monday. I go and I fill his pillbox. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying, here's the medicine. Here, here, you need to take this medicine. We need to look to the Lord for healing even through this medicine. But I, it's wrong to stop there. See, what we've done, I think, is we have transferred dependence from God to modern medicine. That's the progressiveness of science. That's the, the power of the enlightenment where knowledge is everything, and which gives us the basis upon which to reject a supernatural God. All right? And so, um, so what James is doing is he is affirming both the physical and the spiritual. Yes, use medicine, but also pray, because God cares about the physical, and there is no replacement for us coming together and praying over one another and laying hands on each other. Our, our flesh, our bodies, our fleshly lives are not divorced, but utterly married to God and spirituality. He came in the flesh, died in the flesh, was raised in the flesh, perfected flesh. He ascended on high in the flesh. He sits at the right hand of God in the flesh. Our physical bodies, there's something to us, even gathering here, and let's get into that a little bit. I mean, this is what, you know, Jesus in, in John eleven twenty five. 25, he said, I am the resurrection. He raised Lazarus. He said, I want you to know, I am the resurrection. To believe in me is to live in, with the hope of resurrection, physical stuff, the new heaven and the new earth. You'll drink new wine with me that day. He, remember when Jesus said that at the table there of the Lord's Supper? You're going to drink it again one day, someday, in the new heaven and the new earth. He didn't say, oh, this is unspiritual. Don't. He's saying, oh, you think this is good? You just wait. You think that wine I made at Cana, the wedding feast in Cana was good? Oh, you just wait. And everything will point to the glory of God and, and be used to draw us higher up and deeper into him. To deny this is Gnostic Christianity, and that really is where we are. If you love to study church history and so forth, you know what I'm talking about with Gnosticism. But basically, it denies the flesh. It denies the goodness of the flesh. And so, it is Gnostic practice to not have people come in and pray for you. It is Gnostic practice for us not to be confessing our sins together and going after each other, you know, even physically and bringing us back to the fold. It is Gnostic Christianity when, when we live basically in a virtual reality, when we only have Facebook friends, or when our Facebook community becomes our community. 
And please, oh, I know it's so hard. So many of you are younger than me, and it's so hard not to look at me and think, oh, here we go again. This old guy railing on, you know, modern technology. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I am, <laughs> but, but, but not because I'm old. <laughs> I don't think, uh, at least. Listen to Mark Sayers. Um, he's a lot younger than me. Um, he says, the West is driven by, quote, a new Gnosticism, which is a beautifully architected landscape of individuals committed to self-development. We all take on the image of, 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 of the, the, the role of creator, and we can stand and we can create the world around us. And if we don't like that person, we push them out. And if we don't like this, we, don't, we push it out. If we don't, you know, we take a vacation and we move around as many times and we change churches and we change jobs. Why? Because we don't, we're not committed to the embodiment of a people and a place. And it's so important. It's a call back to that. And we live not even in our marriages, we live not really engaged in working through conflict. He, he points to this. Mark Sayers in his book, Disappearing Church, says this. Instead of throwing themselves, he's comparing modern um, uh, people to, you know, uh, 20, 30 years ago when, you know, the sexual revolution was really just manifesting itself in, in affairs, in physical affairs. We've moved beyond the physical affair and replaced it with this. Instead of throwing themselves into a crazed life of sexual abandon with a string of partners, dad sneaks a look at porn on his phone in the den while upstairs his wife loses herself in Fifty Shades of Grey on her Kindle before they both make it an early night to get the kids to football training in the morning. It's virtual. Even our affairs have become a virtual. <laughs> you say, well, you say we should go back to physical affair. I mean, no, but hear the point. That's where we progress, and we are becoming not more human, but less human. We're, we are emptying ourselves of humanness, and it's why we're so lonely, and it's why we are so miserable. I spent eight days in a yurt in Colorado elk hunting with three other guys recently. And um, you talk about embodiment. There's literally nothing we didn't share. I mean, there was no way to keep a secret. You, there, was even, there was no dressing room even to change clothes in. There was an outhouse outside with kind of walls around it, but we got to know each other really well. We ate together, we laughed together, we drank together, we hunted together, we sacrificed for each other, we took carts up mountains, hiking up mountains to pull down 800 pounds of meat. We, uh, I won't go into all the gory details, we, we laughed, we cried, we got mad at each other, we repented, we extended forgiveness, we worshiped God, we prayed for each other, we asked hard questions of each other, and on and on and on I can go for eight days, no running water, and yet at the end of it, I felt more alive than I felt in a long time. Why? Because of the embodiment of community. That's what I'm made for. That's what you're made for. But we don't believe that. 
We don't believe that something is happening right here when we're sitting shoulder to shoulder, when somebody's child is, is you know, we've got to endure somebody's child, you know, um, um, crying or moving around or, um, or, or somebody we don't... Uh, there is something happening here. Live streaming is, is not a replacement for worship. It's not a replacement for community. So much happened between the time you had to get ready this morning, get in the car with your children, fight with your spouse, and get here and smile with a smile on your face as you walk in. So much embodiment is happening, and this is what we're made for. Because this is how you see your real heart. And this is how you see the heart of other people when somebody walks up to you and says, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? And it's also the real hurt when you walk away and know, but you feel like nobody saw you. And then you've got you've to confess that. You see, it's community. It's the embodiment of community that, that we have to acknowledge is real. Or... We are never going to call the elders to pray for us. That'd be totally out. That's weird. What are you talking about? I don't ever see you at church. You don't care about in community and embodiment. I'm not saying that's what the elders will say, but you get the point. Is it, it has to be a natural outflow of, of relationship here as a people. As we live together, as we commit to each other, as we vacation together, as we do all these things. You can't have a virtual church. I think especially for us in this diverse church. It, you, we are not going to sit in the same room and become one. We've got to get deep in each other's lives. We've got to know why the Ritterhouse verdict um, was not even on, you know, some of our radars, and it was, that's all we could think about for others. We have to know that, that it takes vulnerability, and it takes work. But then secondly, and this is part of it too, confessing our sin to one another and bringing fellow sinners back, not canceling them, is essential to a flourishing community. We can't cancel each other. <laughs> there, there's nothing more anti-gospel than the cancel culture that is out there. But I want to say this, the culture got it from the church. The moral majority in the 1980s, what was it? It was the ultimate cancel culture. Jerry Falwell and millions of primarily white evangelicals came together to become a voting block to vote in a political agenda and to think that was Christianity. And friends, using power as a tactic to promote Christianity was successful for a time for advancing a political agenda, but it was anything but successful in producing true disciples of Jesus. Why? Because now we just have an enemy. Now those that, now the LGBTQ community, on, on, you know, that were, that were silenced by power, the power and shame of the church, have, are now getting in power. And oh, here we are. We're not just viewed as weird. We're viewed as a danger, just like we viewed them. And we're getting exactly what we, we we're, they're mimicking exactly the same tactics that we taught them. So what do we do? We create an all-new community called the church. <laughs> we throw down our political alliances. We throw down our power 
And we do two things. We start confessing our sins to each other, not pointing our sins out, confessing our sins to each other. Do you know why I use so many illustrations about myself <laughs> in sermons? It's not because I want to. I hate it. I hate it. It's like ripping my skin off most of the time. But why do I do it? Because, it, because the Mars Hill podcast scares the, everything out of me. And I know many of you have listened to it, where Mark Driscoll does anything but confess his sin. He becomes uh, a God himself in his own eyes. And he demands power, and he rules by power. And friends, that is about as anti-gospel as you can possibly get. We are called, all of us, from the leaders down, probably the leaders being out front, confessing sin to each other. I confess sin to the session this morning. And that should be the natural rhythm of our, that should not be something, oh, that's weird. No, it should be weird when we're not doing it. Because it's not because we're not sinning, <laughs> and we got to be careful. There's a difference between, oh, I'm thinking something negative about you, so I've got to go tell you. No, okay, if it, maybe if you feel like they've been feeling it, because typically if I feel it, you're going to get it through my looks. My wife can tell you I've got a PhD in that sin. And so it's hard. I don't hide my sin well. Uh, so it, I need to confess that sin, even if it wasn't spoken. But don't just go up to somebody and say, hey, I have just been really mad at you, you know, and they're like, what are you talking to? I didn't, you know, don't create conflict that doesn't have to exist, but when you sin against somebody, go to them and tell them that you've done so. Why? Because that's the embodiment of that's how you build community. And then when somebody goes astray, we have to go after them. Verse 19 through 20, my brothers, if anyone of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him... Uh, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You say, what does that mean, Richard? I have no idea. Go read, you know, go read the commentaries. Uh, I have no idea what that means, but what I do understand is that it's really important. Why? Well, here's how we do it, and I think it'll come out in the midst of it. Number one, how do we bring a brother back, a sister back? We bring a, we bring a sinner back as a sinner. You're not reaching down, you're always reaching out. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You are never the expert, you are always a sinner. And therefore, it should be hard for you to open your mouth. Two, you bring a sinner back as an undeserved object of God's love. Grace is getting the opposite of what you deserve. The rest of Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive, be received by faith. I am an object. The only reason I, I can stand in God's grace and his love is because of Jesus, period. So that's how I go. And then thirdly, you bring a sinner back patiently but boldly. There's no way around it. You have to risk the relationship. And what does that do? It puts you in the embodiment of humility and vulnerability. It throws you on the mercy of God. And I'm the biggest people pleaser. But what do you do? It, it's that practice of dying to yourself. And, and again, if you're enjoying it, something's wrong. That is a big warning sign. Ding, ding, ding. Don't, don't say another word. 
But when you're struggling to do it and you're moving forward, um, questioning yourself and, and praying diligently, oh God, please bring reconciliation, please. That's, that's how we build community. Because that brother or sister will thank you one day. And you will take no credit because you were just simply being obedient and you hated doing it. Wouldn't you want to be part of this community? Can we create it? Will we create it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the directive of James this morning. I pray, O oh God, that we would be so committed to the embodiment of the gospel in our midst that we indeed would begin to call people and not, not only not suffer alone, but really believe that you can work through the prayers of other people. Help us to confess our, 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 the, and be vulnerable to say, I need help. I'm suffering. <laughs> and, O oh God, remove all shame from it. Oh, God, I pray that we would be bold to confess our sins to each other and that we would be bold to go after one another when we wander. Oh, God, make us the embodiment of Jesus in this place and in this community. We have to go against everything in society to do it and a lot of stuff in our own hearts and minds, but help us to do it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May we respond to the gospel by bringing our tithes and offering. And as we prepare to come to the table this morning, may we um, confess our sin to the Lord and come as sinners to this table. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, after giving thanks, took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, even this supper is a physical embodiment of confession, repentance, reception of, of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ together. We're all coming forward and acknowledging, I am broken, I am sinful, there's nothing I can do to earn God's love. Uh, but oh, because of the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus, I am whole, I am healed, and one day I will live in that reality fully. And so friends, as we come, may we come as sinners saved by grace. If that is not your hope, would you make it your hope this morning? Would you trust Jesus? to remove your sin, the curse of your sin, and to bring forgiveness and love to make you an object of that love. Would you receive Christ this morning and partake of these elements? Lord Jesus, thank you. You're good. And we thank you for your goodness. Bless us, O oh God. Even as we come, may we, as we eat the bread and, and drink the juice or wine, may we taste and know the forgiveness of God. That's what you want from this table. Help us to do just that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come. Amen. Receive now the benediction as we go forth into the world. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends.